Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is Luke's account of Jesus' ascension. This will serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. And we remain standing out of respect for the words and work of Jesus as the gospel is read. Here's Luke 24. Jesus said to his disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, beginning, preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Jesus ascended into heaven. Rather, he was taken up into heaven. And what does disciples do? They look at each other with that mix of, what just happened? Now what do we do? You think you know a guy and then he just floats away. Not quite. Do they walk away with their heads down? sad, that their friend, their teacher, their savior was gone? Regret what they wanted to say but didn't? Sorrow of of what they did while he was here? No, that's not it either. What did the disciples do? While Jesus was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then his disciples worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now, how about that? Hearts filled with worship, a head full of not just any joy, great joy joy, and lips filled continually with praise. So what's happened to you? I mean, we worship God 
We receive God's blessings. So why is it when we return to our lives, so often it, it may not be marked by great joy and continual praise. Now instead, very often, maybe even most often, we're not continually worshiping and praising. We're complaining or offering commentary. God, where are you? God, what am I supposed to do in this really backwards, messed up world? We're his disciples too. I mean, you and I know it. You know that our hearts should be bent on worship and praise. You know Philippians chapter four, verse four, which says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm gonna say it again. Rejoice always. And yet sometimes we, we can barely muster enough rejoicing on Sundays, let alone always. We know what God has prepared in advance for us. But we do, we, we struggle to translate that into the here and now. We walk into church on a Sunday morning and someone says, hey, how's it going? And we say, oh, just another day in paradise. But you know, it's anything but. I mean, practical paradise or theological paradise because we're still sinners who struggle with all our failings. We put on our Sunday best and our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday best. I'm not talking about clothes, but really enthusiastic smiles that say, I'm fine. Even though how many of you how many of you experience moments where you feel like you're barely holding it together? Don't answer that. You don't have to answer that because know this, you're, you're not the only one who, who at times is, feels like they're in a closet, a closet of a, of a, of a happy grin even though you sit inside the whole time looking out and wonder how everyone else is, is putting on that front. Whether it is because you, you struggle and you, and you wrestle with, with clinical depression or you're simply experiencing the, the gray clouds that seem to roll in again and again over the daily grind, it happens. It happens that great joy is not what we experience. But that's why Christians celebrate ascension. That's why Christians have always celebrated Christ's ascension. Ascension was one of the first, one of the greatest, and one of the most joy-filled celebrations that Christians have always commemorated of the life of Christ, and it will continue to be until Christ comes back. Why? Because when Christ ascended, joy descended. Joy descended into all of the areas of our lives. 
And that is why Jesus' disciples went away from seeing their friend, their teacher, and their savior ascend into heaven, and they did so with great joy. So how do we get it? How do we get great joy? Well, that's what we're gonna explore this morning. And we'll start out with considering some ways that, well, maybe you've, you've tried to find joy or, you, or approaches you've, you've heard about finding joy before. People will say that it's a matter of perspective. They'll say to you, if you're feeling sad, just, you know, look on the bright side. If you're feeling some sorrow, just look for the silver lining in things. And people, they'll even Christianize it. They'll say, hey, when God closes one door, he opens a window. And they'll say that as though this quasi-inspirational quote that isn't actually in the Bible changes our hopelessness. But does changing your perspective help you find joy? Well, maybe it does for a moment, but then how many times can you really realistically change the lens, change your perspective? So people will say, you know what? You need to perform something to find joy. What you need to do is just get up and perform some physical activity. Move your body a little bit. That will induce joy. You need to perform something. You need to maybe get out and perform some community service. Stop thinking so much about yourself and think about your community. And that, that might work. There's, there's something to that. But does that help us find great joy, the, the type of joy we're talking about, lasting joy? Certainly might for a moment, but can you ever perform enough? Enough physical activity, enough service to outweigh, well, joylessness. Well, certainly not. So people will say what you need to do is speak positively to yourself, positive affirmations. Get up in the morning, look yourself in the mirror and say it. Say it again and again. I am beautiful. I am strong. I am smart. But what happens when the joy you're missing is precisely because of you? You have thought something that's not beautiful, but ugly. You're very familiar with frailty and not strength. The joy we seek is not found in you. So people will say, well, you gotta look outside of you. Find it in pleasure. And here we're not, we're not talking about self-indulgent, sinful pleasure or hedonistic things, but some good old-fashioned me time. When you're at your lowest, to find joy, just take some time for yourself. Enjoy maybe a game or your favorite hobby. Maybe just a piece of chocolate cake. Take a nap. But you know, Pleasure, it's fleeting. And so where do you find joy? Well, maybe you just do the opposite. You can't find it, so you just block the bad. You put up a little prevent defense. You just prevent the negativity. You just keep those toxic relationships at bay. 
that complaining coworker, the always gossiping friend. You just avoid them. That's how you find more joy. You prevent the negativity. But let me ask you this. Has it worked? Can you really mitigate all negativity and sin? Can you really create an existence for yourself where you totally dispose of the sinful people? And so everything's great. These ways don't work. And perhaps just listing them has begun to strike a chord for you because select some or all of the above, you've tried. You've tried to find joy in these places. These places are precisely the problem. And so you trouble your own trouble because you look for joy where joy can exist. Joy doesn't come from just preventing negativity or pleasure or speaking positively to yourself or simply changing your perspective. Where does joy come from? How do you get a joy that manifests itself in a life full of worship and continual praise as you return to wherever you go in all your vocations? It doesn't come from any of those places. It comes only from promises. Promises that were spoken by our ascending Savior as he blessed his disciples. Jesus gave great many promises to his disciples, which he repeated to them over a period of 40 days after his resurrection, leading up to his ascension. But here in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, we're going to zero in on two of those wonderful promises that bring great joy into our lives. Here's the first one. Jesus speaking to his disciples, said this. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. You want to know why Jesus' disciples went away from ascension with great joy? I mean, it really doesn't make sense when you think about it. They said goodbye to someone who they loved. It doesn't usually result in great joy. But see what happened. Jesus blessed them and he explained to them, well, note the absolutes, everything. That everything that was ever written in all the scriptures, what? Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me. And then he opened their minds to understand this. That everything, everything that Jesus had ever done was prophesied. Everything that was ever prophesied, Jesus did. That he really did come and fulfill all of the scriptures. That he really did need to be the one who would die and rise for the forgiveness of our sins after three days, just like he said. And he opened up their minds to understand this too. That if Jesus did everything that he ever promised he would do, how much more will he also do 
all the things he's promised to do. To send us power from on high. To be with us forever, as we hear in Matthew chapter 28's account of the ascension. As we read last week in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you and be with you for always. You want to know why Jesus' disciples left ascension with great joy? It's because they understood Scripture. And they understood what about Scripture? Well, that Jesus' ascension wasn't his absence. It was his very real presence. It was his presence with you always. Through his omnipotence, the fact that he is all-powerful, through his omnipresence, the fact that he is rising to sit at the right hand of God, just like we read in Ephesians. And he's going there, not just to sit at the right hand of God and kick back in a hammock, because now he's retired and he did all of his work. No, he's going there to rule everything for you. And Christ has received from his Father all the fullness of everything, so that he fills with his power and authority everything and works it out for your good the good of the church. That is why the disciples left with great joy, because they understood this, what Jesus' ascensions meant for them. And friends, the same Jesus who opened up his disciples' minds so they could understand the scriptures, he's done the same for you. This is a promise that he gives through his spirit's presence, that you understand everything, everything, everything that was written about him, it must come to be. You understand the scriptures. What scriptures? What promises? Well, that Jesus says to you in in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled because you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus promises that. What great joy. What great joy that he's promised not only heaven, but he's a promise that well, when you deal with thorns in the flesh, physical pain, sadness, depression, chronic pain, disease, His grace is sufficient, for his power is made perfect in weakness. The Apostle Paul said, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then... I am strong. Friends, these are not just pleasant platitudes. These are not just things that are nice to consider to change your perspective. Like, okay, all right, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. These aren't just positive affirmations that, oh, God's grace is sufficient for me. No, these are promises. These are promises from your ascended Lord who fills everything in order to work it out for the good of his body, the church, for you and me. Promises that that you can take to the bank. Promises like Psalm 50, where Jesus says, call upon me. I want you to do that. I, I want you to reach out to me. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. 
These are promises. Promises that God gives to you and to me. Promises that he has, he has blessed us with understanding about. Promises that, well, cause great joy. Jesus Christ ascended so that joy might descend, might descend into your heart and into your mind at the understanding of all the things that Christ has promised to give to you. And there's more. Jesus opened up their minds so they could understand scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus' disciples experienced great joy, not just because their minds were open to understand who Jesus was and what he did, but also because they understood what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring repentance, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Could there be a greater joy than to hear that message, that proclamation? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are all forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The ones that you know full well you have done and you felt quite a bit of shame about doing, they're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Even the sins that you didn't know were sins, they're forgiven. Christ's word proclaims to you in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, in the New Testament, in Hebrews, that your sins that you remember, God will forget. Could there be greater joy? Could there be more glory to God to know that what Jesus came to do and what Jesus came to win, forgiveness of sins for all nations, that is yours. Could there be greater joy than this, that you've seen it? Jesus promised his disciples that, look, I'm gonna tell you this, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the message that all your sins are taken away, here's what's gonna happen after I go to heaven. It's gonna start out here in Jerusalem, then it's gonna go to every single nation. Step back and look, you are the recipient here and now of that promise. When you open up scripture on your own in your personal devotion life, you read that promise. Your sins are forgiven. When you Christians live life together and it happens because we can't mitigate sin and you sin against one another and you say, I'm sorry for my sin you hear that promise. Your sins are forgiven. I forgive you. You hear that promise every Sunday when you come here to church from the mouth of your pastor as a called servant of Christ. Not by my authority, but by his. I forgive you all your sins. You hear it when you come to the Lord's Supper. You receive that, his body and blood, for the forgiveness of sins. That's what you received in your baptism. He washed all your sins away. Can we talk about baptism for just a second? I have the joy of teaching foundations class where we go over the foundational teachings of the Bible and we see all the different ways where that promise of forgiveness of sins is proclaimed throughout scripture. 
It was not too long ago where I was teaching about baptism using this passage from 1 Peter chapter 3 that talks about how baptism saves you. And I was describing that, but just for a moment, step back and see how it saves you. The second part of that, of that passage saves you by resurrection and the ascension connection that Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Anyways, I was teaching this to a group of people and I was, I was being rather blunt, that baptism saves you. And it saves you from what? From hell. It saves you from drowning in your sins. And I asked if there's any questions before we move on. And that's when somebody who is a longtime Christian, who knows what God's word has to say about God's love for them, was overcome with great joy. They stopped me and they said, wait a second. So what, I'm for sure not going to hell? And I paused to make sure I understood their question correctly before I answered it. And I said, yes. Because baptism saves you. Baptism saves you. Not the removal of dirt from your body. It's not just washing you in that way, but it is pledging a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to connect it to Romans chapter six, it saves you not only through the death, but also the life, the resurrection of Christ. That is what your baptism means for you. The forgiveness of all your sins. Could there be a greater joy? then hearing your sins are forgiven. And Jesus ascended. Jesus ascended so that joy might descend into your heart and into your life. That's what made the disciples go home this way, worshiping with great joy and praising God. You know what's interesting? This is the last verses of Luke's gospel. And it's in the penultimate verse verse 52 of Luke's gospel, that for the very first time in Luke's gospel, the 12 apostles worship Jesus. Now, a little caveat here. I'm not suggesting that they never worship Jesus to this point. In fact, Matthew's gospel said they worshiped Jesus after Jesus calmed the storm. And we see Mary Magdalene worship Jesus on Easter Sunday. But here in Luke's gospel, this is the first time. The first time that the 12 worship Jesus. Oh, certainly there were others. There was the widow whose son was raised. She praised God. There was the leper of the 10, the one who returned after he had been healed. He praised God. There was whole crowds of people who on Palm Sunday praised God. But the 12 disciples, as you read through all of Luke, which I did, just to make sure, in preparation for this sermon, what you see is, well, they're amazed at Jesus. They're in awe of Jesus. But it's not till here that they worship him. What connection am I, am I trying to make here? Well, so often, I, I think our, our lives maybe mirror the disciples in Luke. It's pretty awesome what God does sometimes amazing. I forgot to say that sometimes the disciples, they were just afraid of God. Maybe that happens. But what changed their reaction to Christ? 
It was his ascension. It was his continual blessing on ascension. That he ascended. He ascended and he gave them great joy. Great joy that comes from understanding scripture. All about who Christ is, what he did, but also great joy that comes from knowing what he gave you. Great joy from knowing your sins are all forgiven. So go. You're witnesses of this. Go with great joy, continually praising God. Amen.